You're listening to the Solar Disruption Theory Podcast. Step inside some of the most forward-thinking minds in solar today. This show explores a deeper side of solar each month as Freedom Forever leaders sit down with CEOs, activists, and other solar experts to break the solar industry wide open. We'll discuss solar trends, news, and everything you need to know about how you can join us on the path of disruption. This is the Solar Disruption Theory. Hey everyone, welcome to the Solar Disruption Theory Podcast. I'm Sean McCready and with me as always is Freedom Forever VP of Marketing, Jules Roberts. Hey Jules. Hello. We've got a jam-packed show ahead of us and we're going to be talking about the environmental, economic, and racial justice movements of a great organization, DreamCorps. But first, let's see what's going on in the news. So it's no secret there was a huge crisis that happened in Texas. Uh, it was the result of two severe winter storms sweeping across the United States in mid-February. And it involved mass utility failures such as power outages, water and food shortages, and dangerous weather conditions. Because of this storm, more than 4.5 million homes and businesses in Texas were left without power, some for several days at a time. And this is crazy. Unbelievable. It is unbelievable. I was looking at recent reports from SEA, SEIA, the Solar Energies Industry Association. They say that customers who have invested in solar and storage were actually able to keep their power on and kept space heaters running through the night. So. You know, I, I hate to put a hero into this situation, but solar really did become a hero in this story. Absolutely. And you know, the the interesting thing is because you think me coming from the Midwest, I'm mm -hmm. a Chicago girl. Yeah. You got to understand they build houses differently. Infrastructure is right. different. When you have a state that isn't used to this kind of weather and getting blasted by it. Absolutely. Things like this are, they're going to happen. Yeah. Especially what the electrical grid it's what built in the 50s in the, yeah it? i mean the, in the their, their infrastructure is so old and it's all dependent on you know electric and, and dirty energy exactly so yeah i love that solar customers that had especially battery backups saw that immediate benefit yeah and you know and i mentioned like the dirty energy part of it a lot of people are saying that phasing out fossil fuels was the cause of all of this which they're greatly misinformed or just misleading the public because it turns out that solar in Texas has been providing about a thousand megawatts more than the grid operator had planned for. And outages of natural gas power plants were the biggest problem with the, with the supply. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. So according to the Washington Post, Dan Woodfin, he's a senior director for the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. He told reporters, there is significantly more megawatts in that thermal unit category than in the renewable category as far as what's out during that particular event. So what this all boils down to is that Texas didn't weatherize its infrastructure. Even though they had cold-induced power outages just 11 years ago, I mean, mm -hmm. 11 years sounds like a long time, but that was a very short time ago. What it comes down to is they didn't learn from their past mistakes. I mean, when you look at what happened 11 years ago compared to now, it's the same exact situation. We just lost right. more power. And uh, we had done a video uh, because we had some of our folks from Freedom Forever at the Dallas branch uh, led by Chad Hamilton. He's a, a director of operations down there. Uh, we had people at our branches breaking down pallets for firewood mm -hmm. to give out to yeah. the community. I mean, they, and handing out bottled and water. Out bottled, and yeah. Because I know the branch had electricity. So yeah. they were letting people come in to warm up and recharge their phones. Yeah. And it's. It was incredible. So Chad, giving you a plug. Thank yeah, you. Thanks, Chad. Yeah. And everybody down there who helped, thanks so much. But in this video, I was talking about how this was the most costliest disaster since Hurricane Harvey. I mean, in their state history. 
And this is something that they could have learned from, from their past mistakes. So it's just, it's super unfortunate. And, you know, we can talk about the problems all day, but, you know, really what we need to do is we need to meet the climate challenge and provide re reliable power. Mm -hmm. Because events like this, they they'll get, they're going to take a holistic systems approach, right? Solar, storage, distributed generation, utility scale solar, uh, even down to wind, energy efficiency. Uh, I mean, it's going to take a, a huge approach. So, Well, it, it's one of those things. It, it happened 11 years ago. Right. We didn't learn from it. Now it's like, okay, now, now time to listen. Right. Like, there can't be a next time. Exactly. Because when you consider how many people were without power, it's it's it's... You know, it's unforgivable for one, but, you know, there were actually deaths from this because people couldn't get heat and, you know, people were actually dying because they were literally freezing to death. This is something that can't happen. So, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, there's a, a bipartisan uh, coming together to talk about how they can revitalize mm -hmm. their infrastructure, talk about the energy and and figure out how to avoid this problem in the future because it's yes, going to happen. Absolutely. Climate change is, is something that really contributed to this. Uh, they don't see snow that far south, typically, not on this scale, you know, this magnitude, the magnitude of this was insane. So, um, yeah, hopefully they, they can get that together. So for everybody that suffered down in Texas, I, you know, I, I'm hoping that you're getting back together and everything's coming together for you. It, it was a, a, such a, an unnecessary disaster to go through and, you know, our hearts up, go out to you guys. For things like this, I hate to turn it into like a sales pitch, but, you know, it, it was proven that solar and storage did help a lot mm -hmm. down in, in, during this this disaster. So, you know, for those of you that are listening that want more information on batteries or, or solar systems, you know, check out our website. We've got a lot of great resources. Uh, the Freedom Forever blog has some really cool resources on solar plus storage. Um, so, yeah, check it out. Up next, the America's clean energy leaders are urging President Biden to repeal the Trump solar tariff proclamation. Uh, 17 leading renewable energy CEOs are calling on President Biden to rescind the Trump administration's October 2020 solar proclamation, which improperly increased tariffs on solar panels. This put billions of dollars, billions with a B, worth of solar contracts at risk. So Abigail Ross Harper of, of SIA says that the president has the opportunity to build a clean energy economy with millions of well-paying jobs, strengthen our nation's infrastructure, bolster domestic manufacturing, and uplift communities across America. Removing the tariffs are the first step to achieving this vision. Yeah, so this call to action comes as clean energy companies continue to feel the effects of the tariffs. According to analytics from SIA, the tariffs have led to a loss of 62,000 jobs, $19 billion in lost private sector investment, and a 26 million metric ton increase in carbon emissions. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, in, I mean from from one one tariff. I mean, th this is this is insane. So, uh, the clean energy industry as a as a whole and its partners remain committed to long term policies that can boost domestic manufacturing, such as increased federal procurement opportunities for the U.S. equipment manufacturers and tax credits to help incentivize private sector investments in domestic manufacturing. So, this is kind of a joint effort with SIA and the American Clean Power Association. They're continuing to work with Biden administration, the next U.S. trade representative and other organizations to put Americans back to work and create more opportunities for homegrown solar products. So that's great news. And I hope that goes well. Um, they're really calling for action on this one. They, they, they need this. And to it's, go it's much needed. It's very much needed. Absolutely. And then some great news coming out of the new Biden administrations. Uh, so the solar industry is, is, as a whole is congratulating and welcoming in the new secretary of energy, uh, Jennifer Granholm. She was sworn in as the 16th Secretary of Energy on February 25th, 2021, becoming just the second woman to lead the U.S. Department of Energy. So this is also great news for women. And as we sit now in the month of March, mm -hmm. uh, Women's History Month, 
this is such great news. Uh, and it's also great news because she is a longtime clean energy champion and she's really ready to tackle our nation's energy and climate challenges. So a couple things that she's working on is, uh, so she's gonna lead the Department of Energy in helping America achieve President Biden's goal of net zero carbon emissions by 2050 by advancing cutting edge clean energy technologies, creating millions of good paying union clean energy jobs and building an equitable clean energy future. She's also gonna oversee the Department of Energy's core missions of promoting American leadership in scientific discovery, maintaining the nuclear deterrent and reducing nuclear danger and also remediating the environmental harms caused by legacy defense programs. So with that, like congratulations to Secretary Granholm. Like we look forward to seeing what you can accomplish. So much can be accomplished. So we're, we're super excited about that one. That's it for the news. Today, we'll be speaking with Michelle Romero, National Director at DreamCorps. DreamCorps believes that together we can lead our country to reach its fullest potential. And the Green for All program fights for a world that is green for all, not green for some. They work at the intersection of the environmental, economic, and racial justice movements to advance solutions to poverty and pollution. Under Michelle's leadership, Green for All has been a leading voice against efforts to dismantle climate and clean energy progress and is working to shift billions of dollars from polluter pockets to polluted communities through carbon pricing and inclusive financing strategies. This is so fascinating and we're so excited to have this conversation. Michelle, welcome to the show. We're so excited to talk about you and your, your initiatives with Green for All. So your work has been featured in a lot of different media outlets like CNN, LA Times, Now This, Bustle. There's a list, ABC News, Fast Company, San Francisco Chronicle. And you have, from what I've read about you and in our, our previous chats, you have a lot of uh, experience with voting rights and equality. Can you talk a little bit about your background and how you got into Dream Corps and the Green for All program? Sure, yeah. You know, when I was in college, I was working on how to get people access to higher education who came from the undocumented community, mm -hmm. um, how to make sure that you know everyone could afford college. We were fighting for a lot of social justice issues around immigration. Uh, and I never really thought I would end up in the environmental movement, I will say. So as someone who's <laughs> half Mexican, half German, but brown in, in terms of my skin color, mm -hmm. I didn't really see a place for people like me in the environmental movement. I had sort of from the outside looking in thought of it as this movement that is for white hippie tree huggers, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I imagined folks uh, who were rich and had extra money laying around driving Teslas as a luxury, right. you know, right. and so it was an interesting way, I think, that how I came to Green for All. I was doing social justice work, voting rights work in California at another organization and met a woman there who became the director of Green for All and was just so inspired by the way she approached uh, environmentalism and how to use, you know, creating a new green economy and a better world as an opportunity to also lift people out of poverty. And so that's actually the work that we do at Green for All. We solve poverty and pollution at the same time and look at everything that's good for the planet as a job, a contract, a business opportunity, you know, solar panels don't put themselves up. And so right. exactly. to make sure that there's pathways out of poverty um, via the green economy. 
Right. And, and everything that I've read and, and what we've talked about is this inclusive green economy and, and the solutions that will help you get there. So with DreamCore, can you talk a little bit about how that is helping serve your personal mission? Yeah, so the Dream Corps is a social justice organization and it is working through its three programs to close prison doors and open doors of opportunity. Our founder, Van Jones, like myself, came into the environmental work through the social justice field. He mm -hmm. was working as a criminal justice organizer in Oakland, helping get people out of prison. And this is before, of course, he was on CNN as a political right. pundit mm -hmm. and before he worked for the Obama White House. You know, he was someone trying to get people out of prison. And he was successful in that work, but he realized that if all he was doing was returning people to the same communities, the same conditions that they have come from, and there was no new, you know, opportunity or pathway for them out of that, that that wasn't enough. And so yeah. he founded the Dream Corps to connect the criminal justice work, which is led by our Dream Corps justice program mm -hmm. that helps get people out of prison and reform the criminal justice system to reduce mass incarceration and connect that to um, Green for All, which creates opportunities for people to find success in the green economy, right? Those pathways mm -hmm. out of poverty, the jobs, the business opportunities, mm -hmm. as well as a tech program, DreamCore Tech, which he founded with Prince, um, of all people, after oh, wow. Trayvon Martin. Uh, yeah, after Trayvon Martin um, was shot in Florida, they talked about how to also create pathways for people of color in the tech sector. So that's the work that we're doing at the DreamCore, and I'm you know just really lucky and fortunate to be able to lead the Green for All team in our work to do that in the green space. That's and, so amazing, and it's it's so important right now because I know that you know with Biden coming in, and you know we're really looking nowadays at this job opportunity because everyone you know we're, we have talked about on previous episodes how we want to get away from we're call it like the dirty um like coal and right. things like that where everyone's like oh we're losing our jobs there but there's so much opportunity yeah. from you know clean jobs as we're calling them you know so i love that you guys are really focused on opening up those those pathways for people to to have the opportunity for those jobs because you know as a solar installation company we're growing like crazy yeah. and you know we are trying to find people but it's not like everybody in all these states knows how to install solar but right. it's something that it's a trade that you can learn and you know people can jump on that bandwagon so right. to speak and really find amazing opportunities so i really love that you're opening up these pathways yeah and you know we we've talked about it on the show before and so it's it's a great opportunity to talk about it here we talk about how green energy is creating jobs you mm -hmm. know, all over the place, all over the country. Uh, and you you had mentioned you have an initiative around this green jobs initiative. Can you tell us about that campaign? Yeah, yeah. So we're really trying to connect people coming out of prison into green sector jobs. So 60% of all people who come out of prison remain unemployed after the first year of the release. And so when we talk about even how to keep communities safe, right? I mean, nothing stops a bullet like a job you know, really giving them opportunity to be able to just provide for themselves and their families when they come out. Unemployment is five times higher for this population, people who've been impacted by the criminal justice system, uh, than for the rest of us, five mm -hmm. times higher. Wow. And so we really look at how do we, you know, remove barriers for access to certain jobs, you know, make sure the criminal record doesn't provide a barrier for them to be eligible for jobs, especially if what they were uh, convicted of has no <laughs> relation to the work environment or nature sure. of the work mm -hmm. that they would be doing. 
Um, sometimes we're just arbitrarily exclusive, but also looking to use things like federal funds from the Second Chance Act, which is meant to provide people coming out of prison a second chance at success and using some of those funds for workforce development programs that would give them the skills uh, that you're talking about, right, to get into these skilled and semi-skilled professions, whether that's installing solar, whether that's working on energy efficiency of homes, um, whether that's electric vehicle manufacturing and what Mm -hmm. have you, that they can get in. I was talking to someone actually recently at Rewiring America, and they've been looking at, you know, how many jobs are we really talking about? And I thought they had an interesting way to describe the the talent that's really needed to fill all of these jobs that we have. So mm-hmm. the clean energy economy has more jobs than the dirty energy economy just at a pure numbers game, right? So if you took every single person who was working in the dirty energy economy today and gave them a clean energy job, you would still have this huge shortage of workers to fill the Mm -hmm. jobs needed to actually do all the work, right? Yeah. And so when you think about that, then we need to think about, well, how do we unlock the talent and untapped potential that we've been you know, locking up in prisons instead, right? Yeah. And actually mm-hmm. help more people participate in creating a future we all deserve. And what does that look like? I'm just curious, like what the program actually, like what is that, what is that process? Like someone gets out of prison, then what is that next step that you guys do with them? Yeah, currently our work um, in the in the in the green for all space. So it has been focused on advocacy. You mm-hmm. mentioned that mm-hmm. you know we're looking to rebuild our economy yeah. coming out of the COVID pandemic. And so right now we're really focused on the designing the policies that we need that will create the opportunities. I think mm-hmm. the next step is to link up the pipeline and do the workforce development work. Um, but so right now what that looks like is we've got a federal you know, Congress that's going to be passing massive infrastructure legislation, spending trillions of dollars to rebuild the economy. This is an opportunity we aren't going to get again. Right, <laughs> we, are, right. we aren't going to get again before, you know, in time to solve the climate crisis, for instance. Um, and so where before COVID, you know, the climate movement was trying to generate support and political will for investing, you know, massive amounts of money, federal money, to mobilize the transition to this new clean economy yeah. needed, the pandemic has sort of forced it. So now we sure. have to, right? We have to do something. And what we do is going to be so important. And so we need to see those infrastructure dollars going into clean infrastructure yes. um, and directed at the people and places that need them the most. Right. So it's, you know, there are people who are living in far more pollution burdened neighborhoods than others. Mm-hmm. There's people who are, you know, more underemployed than others. I'm, you know, I mentioned folks coming out of prison as one, but you know, people of color in low income communities that have been underinvested in, right. disinvested in, right? Neglected and just for decades really need the benefit of those investments if we're going to see a fairer economy um, in addition to, you know, a clean energy future. Yeah. And I, I, I think people can more easily understand how um, somebody coming out of prison would maybe more disenfranchised than, than most. Can you talk about, on the other hand of it, when, when you talk about like people of color, can you talk a little bit about how, you know, they're being viewed in, in the in the industry and, and how they can help to solve some of these green job problems? Absolutely. So 
one thing that I learned, you know, I mentioned to you, I didn't come into this as a someone who graduated with a degree in environmental studies or right, anything. Right. I came to this from a social justice lens, right, and a racial justice lens. Yeah. I care about fair opportunities for people regardless of their race. I don't think your race or your zip code or how much money you make should determine your ability to leave, lead a dignified life and sure. have Absolutely. basic needs met, right? right. So through that lens, you know, something, some of the first things I had experienced and learned um, in working at Green for All is that you have communities like Flint, Michigan, mm -hmm. which has a huge, I think at least half the population is African American. The other half is white, but it's a largely low income community that experienced a water crisis where they had lead poisoning and and yeah. there's more than that that was going on yeah. right. where they just didn't have water to bathe to shower to cook i mean nothing to drink right for years they didn't haven't had safe water and it's still an ongoing problem and i had the you know opportunity i guess you could say although it sounds weird to say that out of a crisis but to sit with moms from flint michigan and to be in a room with them and to hear their stories of how they couldn't even bathe their children in the water without their skin cracking and bleeding. right oh. i mean and i just it was such a visceral image for me especially as a young mom at the time um to think about that and then to connect it to the other sorts of crises that happen around pollution in communities you know back home i'm based in california richmond california where there's a chevron oil refinery mm -hmm. located is also in a high community of color it's latino and black and low-income and immigrant community and it regularly has leaks and ex you know, gas explosions and that sort of thing um, but in 2012 i remember watching on the news that it had had this gas explosion and it was and the news anchors were calling for residents to shelter in place now we know what shelter in place means. Yeah, today. now we know. Right. <laughs> now yeah. we know, right? Now we know what shelter in place means. And everyone knows it sucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it totally sucks. But what they were saying on the news was, you know, you need to get inside your home and you actually need to find towels or, or blankets, whatever you can to sort of shove in the cracks of the doors, cover your windows, because the air outside that usually in these communities, like single pane window, right? Yeah. Poorly insulated, poorly sealed homes is that unsafe to breathe? It was sending thousands of people to the hospital. Wow. And so it, in making those connections, I started to realize like the pollution burdens, whether that's coming from your soil, your water, your air is happening largely in communities of color. And there's, that's not an accident, right. unfortunately, <laughs> like that's not an accident. It's because we've devalued as a society certain people's lives over others. Um, that's racism, right? Like that's literally how racism works. But it's also a long history that we've had in this country of discriminatory land use right. um, and facility siting practices where, you know, we've had times where redlining was a... <laughs> legal, right? Where yeah. banks would literally draw on a map with red marker the areas that they would not invest in or give loans to or, you know, develop. And so when you have that, and then you have a government that's not proactively reinvesting in those areas, even if they're just investing the same amount of money as everywhere else, like it's yeah. not, it's not doing enough to close mm -hmm. the gap. And right. so we've got this eco divide.
Yeah, you just brought up a really, really bad memory for me, actually, which is crazy. I didn't even think about this until you just said it. We, uh, when it was probably 1988, and I was a little kid, and I lived in a very low-income area of L.A. County, uh, Lamita, which was near Torrance. And we had a refinery near us, and that happened. There was an explosion, and I remember my grandma running around putting towels around the windows wow. and the doors. and. Wow, I didn't think about that until just now. And but you think about it, and that area was very much low income, mm -hmm. very heavily Hispanic and, and black. And everything you're saying to me is just now kicking in. You know, I, I've mm -hmm. seen it throughout my life, but you know those those memories, I guess, are suppressed until now. And and, and it's just it's crazy to think about. Mm -hmm. And you had a, a really great quote, and and I'm just going to say it for you: uh, the same pollution that is torching the planet is making our community sick and financially broke. What mm -hmm. what was the context around that quote? Yeah, you know, I think that some people understand climate change and how it works and are really concerned about it, right? They read the science, they stay mm -hmm. up reading the news. Yeah. Some people are just trying to live their lives and, and may not understand exactly how it works. But that, you know, message, I think, behind that quote of saying that, look, the same pollution that's torching the planet, right? The same pollution you might care about as a climate activist right. is the stuff that is making our communities, black and brown communities, low-income communities, right, sick, like from mm -hmm. a health standpoint yeah. today and financially broke, that it's having an impact on our pockets and our bodies mm -hmm. today. And that's not that's not something that's happening in the future. That's not something we're trying to stop from happening 10 years from now, right, or climate right. crisis and, and extreme weather and all of that getting worse. That Those are conditions that people who are living on the front lines of pollution are dealing with today. And so whether that's the cost of just extreme energy bills right. um, or the cost of living in a community surrounded on all sides by busy freeways and highways where like the stench of gasoline is a, mm. is a part of your daily smell just walking right. down your neighborhood, you know? Um, and you're breathing those fumes. And so then if you're living in that area, like if, if you're a mom living in that area, thinking about letting your kids play outside in their own backyard, for right. instance, you've got to think about that health impact mm -hmm. as if they were you were going to go let them smoke cigarettes all day. Right. You know, it's, it's interesting that you say that smell because I, I grew up in Chicago and I have family in Michigan. So we would always drive along, you know, Lake Michigan through Indiana and you go through Gary, Indiana. Mm -hmm. And the smell... It was just overwhelming. Like you'd like try to open the windows to air it out because it's coming through the vents, but you you couldn't. You're just surrounded by that. And there are it's a huge community that yeah. lives there. And they can't you can't just open the window and drive a few more miles and air out the car. Like they live in that. And right. that smell, it, like the chemicals in the air, like you said, it like penetrates your body and it, yeah. it makes you so sick. Yeah, and you, and Michelle, you're talking about something as simple as letting your kids go outside and play. I right. mean, this we're, mm -hmm. they're not looking for handouts to go to make a Walt Disney World trip every year. They they want their kids to be able to play outside. I mean, mm -hmm. this isn't this is a basic life necessity: sunshine and fresh air. Exactly. Exactly. One thing I am excited, so not to be such a downer, right? But one thing <laughs> I am excited about uh, is that you know at the federal level. Uh, we've been working on this Clean School Bus Act. Uh -huh. And so that just recently got introduced. We also saw it included in the Clean Futures Act um, to invest billions of dollars in helping schools convert their school buses from uh, diesel or natural gas yeah. to mm. electric, which is 
zero emission, pollution-free, right, electric buses. And that, you know, I think not everyone has returned back to in-person learning yet, but I think that's really important too when we think about kids being one of the most vulnerable mm-hmm. populations, seniors and children, right? They still have developing lungs. Right. And so for them, um, riding these dirty diesel school buses to school every day actually puts them at higher risk uh, and their that cumulative exposure um, increases their chances for things like childhood leukemia and yeah. asthma and some of these health conditions. And it's just, yeah, I mean, it's incredible. We talked about the smell of the fumes, but I think whether you smell it or not, the particles that are coming out of that are so tiny and they get embedded in their little lungs mm-hmm. and never go away. Like you can never get in there and clean it out, right? It right. just sort of accumulates until it causes respiratory and issues. I, I think that's the fascinating thing where we're starting to listen to science more. And that's yeah. that's what's exciting me, like having these conversations and talking about the dirty reality. And I keep going right. back to it. I'm calling it dirty reality because, you know, whether it's how our food is processed, where our clothes, even our clothes, they find chemicals on, yeah. you know, clothing that affect people, children. So just now looking at how we are creating things. So whether it be food, products, um, services, you know, and it seeing how it's affecting us, like with cancer and all these yeah. different diseases, and you start learning how that's tied together so tightly. And that's why I think now, you know, looking at these things saying, let's be clean, let's be conscious about what we're making, how we're making it, who can make it so that way we all can live a better, cleaner life. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, this is no news. And, you know, I I was reminded when I was looking at your website, transportation is now the number one source of carbon emissions. So, Mm -hmm. and I, you know, you're speaking about this clean electric school bus campaign, hashtag fuel change, correct? Yeah, our fuel change campaign is helping to bring cleaner cars, trucks, and buses to underserved neighborhoods and pollution burden areas. I'm I'm excited for you guys because it sounds like the bill is now in Congress. Yeah, so the Clean School Bus Act is in Congress. Um, We have a petition up on our website if you go to greenforall.org and sign the petition to ask senators to pass that piece of legislation. Mm -hmm. So the Clean School Bus Act was included in the Clean Futures Act, which just recently passed the House and is now headed to the Senate, and that would include $25 billion wow. for helping wow. school districts, and it prioritizes low-income serving school districts to convert their fleets to electric. So when these kids do go back to school in person, right, we can put them on buses going forward to a clean energy future. That's so cool. That's fantastic. What an amazing program. And and I know, you know, I, I can understand the, the basic need for that program, but what was the spark that made that come to life? So we partner with a lot of amazing organizations on the ground, including uh, CHISPA, which is a Latino community organizing um, group uh, connected to the League of Conservation Voters, and they have chapters in different states. We've been working with them on this. I just want to shout them out because they're doing incredible work to just engage moms and parents and families right around this. Uh, We had before COVID, (laughs) done a lot of, you know, when people could actually gather in person. We did some leadership development trainings too and put out a take action toolkit, which you can still find on our website for electric bus advocacy. This is how do I bring electric school buses to my neighborhood, right? And Mm -hmm. help to train a hundred people across the country on how to, you know, reach their school districts, talk to the school district transportation directors, show up at board meetings, you know, to ask, how um, 
they were making decisions about purchases for mm-hmm. new buses. So they don't buy buses every year, but usually the buses have a life span and then they need to be retired and, and repurchased. So when they do buy, they buy in bulk. And so how to get plugged into those conversations and, and let them know that like the families they're serving do care about this stuff and do mm-hmm. want, you know, yeah. these cleaner solutions for their kids. Yeah. And, you know, for everybody listening, you can check out their website and we'll, we'll put some links in the, the notes as well, but greenforall.org. Uh, there's a, on the fuel change campaign page, um, there's a, a video. It's, it's, I guess the fuel change anthem. And I, mm-hmm. when I had seen it, I was like, oh, this is going to be cute. A hip hop song about, you know, changing the, <laughs> the environment. It's not cute at all. I mean, it's very wow. real and it's informative and very, you know, it's raw. And and I, I really appreciated the young man that rapped and, and it's a really cool hip hop song, but you know, it's, it's very impactful because it's talking about, you know, him not being able to breathe when he goes outside. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. it's, it's so, you know, I, I got choked up and I'm thinking about it now. I'm, you know, getting a little choked up now. It's something that a lot of people just don't know. They don't see it. And so, you know, it's the whole walk a mile in somebody's shoes thing. Yeah. You know, see what these people, what these kids are dealing with on a daily basis. I have asthma. I can't go outside because the air is too dirty. You know, it's it's something yeah. that a lot of people deal with. For that music video, too. I mean, those are real people sharing their stories. I yeah. mean, we didn't do a casting call, you know, and just fill slots to make this video. We actually asked people to share their story in lyric form. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and found those people that way. But yeah, and so that song, hashtag Fuel Change Anthem, people can actually download now on iTunes. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, Spotify. Yeah, you could check out the music videos up on our website, greenforall.org uh, slash fuel change. But yes, you can get the song too on, on iTunes, Spotify, and other platforms. That's amazing. We'll throw some links in the notes for anybody that wants to go download that. That's amazing. I'm going to shift gears just a little bit here. So Jules and I were talking about earlier in the news segment, the disaster with te- with Texas. And I mm-hmm. think that, you know, that you have a campaign that's really in line with helping out with like the weatherization. Can you talk about Safe at Home? Yes. So we have a new report that just got released called Safe at Home in the Time of COVID. Uh, but I want to tell you just kind of how we got into this. So yeah. uh, the summer before the pandemic, I had a chance to meet with families in our Central Valley of California where it gets really hot. I mean, summertime yeah. is 110, 115 degrees in a normal day. And I had a chance to meet with families who had participated in the low income home weatherization program. And I met, and that's how I met Emilio. And Emilio was telling me about how he had his power off for three weeks. And he and his wife were essentially sleeping in the dirt at night to try and get relief from that heavy Central Valley heat. Um, They are in their 70s. And I just imagined like the only I I mean, it just really broke my heart. I mean, I think that absolutely I've yeah, I mean, I've seen animals try and, you know, they kind of dig in the dirt. That's how they get cool. Yeah. um, But I just just think about human beings. Right who have a home that they just can't pay the power bill yeah. uh, to keep it cool. Now they were renting and luckily they were able to get into one of California's low income home weatherization programs that was funded through uh, the state's cap and trade dollars to, to get their power back on. But yeah, the quality of housing for low in low income areas is just poor. You've got outdated HVAC systems, mm-hmm. you know, the homes aren't sealed and insulated properly. And so right. the energy that it does even have to power the house is so inefficient that their bills are higher. Isn't that crazy? It's like he would have to have it cranked up the full blast to get bare, to feel barely cool 
wow. <laughs> uh, using AC, Jeez. but his bill would be a thousand dollars that month. And so, and, yeah, just, and how can someone? I mean, how do you that's pay a thousand dollar bill? How do you pay a thousand? I mean, you have like crappier service, right? Yeah. And higher bills. I mean, that's just it doesn't make any sense, no. any sense. And so, luckily, the low income home weatherization helped him. Now, what? I was thinking about when the pandemic hit was now we're telling people you need to be home right yeah. mm -hmm. now for for he and his family perhaps during the day they could seek relief at a, a local mall or a, a pool or something go to someone else's house right sure when you're in a public health pandemic like this where you're trying to avoid other people right and things right. are closed and you're told go home you're safe at home you have to ask yourself the question is everyone truly safe at home? Are their homes equipped to keep them safe? And I think that we saw, you know, the answer is not necessarily for everyone. Now, that's not to say like, go out of your house or we need to open up the economy. That's right. not at all what this is about. It's about how do we help people get the tools that they need to be safer at home. Right. So the right. Safe at Home Report, um, we interviewed people all over the country who work with folks on the ground and um, ask them about how COVID had impacted them during the pandemic, you know, how people were dealing at home and found that, you know, there really are a lot of people struggling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, I just appreciate you coming on and telling these stories because there's so many people that are, like you said, they're on the front lines, they're in these situations. This is their reality. And right. so many people don't see that because no. like they can go home and turn the AC on. Right. Um, so it's it's hard for them to imagine like, oh, someone doesn't even have that basic luxury. Right. So I, I appreciate you coming on and being able to bring light to these stories because right. so many people don't even realize that's a thing because it's not their reality. Absolutely. In the United in the United, in the United States. States. Right. right. Exactly. In the United States. Yeah, I think that there's there's this idea that this stuff just happens in other countries. No. And that, but a country like ours that does have all this wealth, okay, well we need to take care of our people better. So, yeah, I mean, I I'm excited about the solutions that are available to us right through the federal infrastructure package mm -hmm. i mentioned if we invest you know 10 billion dollars for instance in weatherization we could scale the programs that exist right to reach the millions of of people who would qualify for these programs keep more money in their pocket so that they can pay their bills and not have to you know forego food to keep the lights on and and make those hard mm -hmm. decisions right um and also help them withstand you know some of these we saw sub freezing temperatures mm -hmm. <laughs> power outages in texas yes. right yeah. um if we're going to withstand some of the more extreme weather events that are going to happen well we need to really get smart about how we're modernizing and upgrading our housing infrastructure yeah, because the the problems that you're talking about, you know, if you were to tell one of these stories without context, I, a lot of people would assume that you're talking about a third world country. Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. the things that you're talking about, and when you when you consider, you know, America, USA, land of the free, home of the brave, and you know, we have everything at our fingertips. That's not the case for everybody. That's that's not the case for most people in this country. And mm -hmm. so, again, like like Jules is saying, thanks for bringing that kind of stuff up because when when COVID hit. There was a big focus and a, and a lot of attention brought to, you know, kids and women who were in domestic violence situations. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not safe at home because of that mm -hmm. type of situation. And it's very important to think about that kind of thing. But on the other hand of this, people aren't thinking that people don't have access to either, you know, cheap electricity or energy at all in some situations. Um, and these are the things that people just aren't thinking about because they mm -hmm. just they don't know. So organizations mm -hmm. like yours are so important because 
you're telling the story. You're telling stories on behalf of people that don't have a voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I think, you know, the purpose of sharing the story is to hopefully inspire people to take action, you know, and, you know, and to join us. I think that we need a lot to change on the policy front and that can happen if we're showing, you know, stepping up and showing folks that this is what we need that, you know, I think the other you know, piece is that not everyone has always seen themselves having a place in the new green future, the clean mm-hmm. economy, right? Yeah. And I think that in bringing these stories to the surface, I try and just help more people actually see the benefits that it brings when yeah. they make mm-hmm. this transition and the roles that people can play and the better future that it could create, you know, for all of us if we do it right. Yeah, absolutely. And we're obviously fawning over you, but Mm -hmm. on a grander scale, like I wanted to talk about something that I I found on your site. Uh, You were uh, named the Bezos Earth Fund grant recipient. Tell us about that award and what that means to the organization. Yeah. So um, Jeff Bezos, right? CEO, founder of Amazon, Mm -hmm. made a pledge to commit $10 billion to the climate movement and helping solve the climate crisis, which was really exciting. And DreamCore Green for All was one of the recipients of its first grants that it made. We um, received a $10 million grant that will be divided up over the next few years to help us grow and scale our programs. And I think one of the most exciting things about that is that, you know, not enough money goes to climate philanthropy in general. Only about 2% of philanthropy actually goes to climate issues, um, which is incredible considering that existential threat it is but right when you look at that two percent you also see a real you know we talked about the eco divide before you see this other racial divide in the movement where larger mainstream white-led organizations just get a huge share of the money and then you've got people of color-led organizations folks who are working with folks most affected by the problem with the highest stakes closest to the solutions right um, being underfunded. And so I just thought it was, you know, really great and sort of spoke volumes about the way in which philanthropy can be a better part mm-hmm. of the solution and, right. you know, how, how we move forward. Yeah. So is there anything in specific that this grant is helping to fund? Is, is Did it go to one specific area or is it just kind of spread throughout the organization? It's spread throughout the Green for All programs, um, and we're doing work in, you know, like you mentioned, so energy and energy efficiency, Mm -hmm. uh, transportation, and jobs and workforce. We also, I would say, one of the unique things that we're doing to disrupt, (laughs) to disrupt, I mean, this is the fun word that everyone has to throw around, right? To disrupt the um, policy space and the political environment is to do this work in a way that can actually unite people, Mm -hmm. uh, liberals and conservatives, right, progressives and conservatives on both sides, and unite the underdogs in red states and blue states to Mm -hmm. say, look, both parties have failed us, right? Like both, both parties have failed us in so many ways. How do we get together to advance and and put forth some common ground solutions, Mm -hmm. common sense solutions that meet our needs on the ground, right? So that people who might be impacted by the transition away from dirty energy jobs are taken care of, like that they're not the problem, right? We need to make sure that they can still support their families and solve pollution, right? And and give better opportunities to folks who've been locked out of the pollution-based economy and and lock them into opportunity. Yeah. 
And I think what I love, you know, with just getting into the details of your organization, how it all works together. Like you have this beautiful ecosystem that it's like you have this piece that helps support this piece that supports this piece. And it's just you're really thinking of it in a holistic way. Because you can't mm-hmm. just like run straight to get to the finish line. Right. You gotta like, okay, we gotta zigzag and go over here and fix, <laughs> you know. So it's it's almost like this this spider web of of problems, mm-hmm. and yeah. you gotta tackle it from different ways. Yeah. And I feel like you guys have been doing like that's how you know you're you're framing everything up is to really yeah. sort of hit things in, from multiple angles to really get us there. Well, yeah. When I yeah. was researching Dreamcore, so this is how this all happened. I was looking, uh, I, I wanted to get Van Jones on the show. You know, it was a, a far reach, but I was like, let me look into, you know, how I can get this accomplished. So I, I you know, I down the rabbit hole, found mm-hmm. Dreamcore, and I was like, well, this is interesting. And I looked at the programs and you look at Dreamcore Justice, Dreamcore Tech, Dream, uh, Dreamcore Green for All, and you're like, well, this is kind of a hodgepodge of topics. How does this, you know, mm-hmm. how does this fit together? But then you start reading the stories and, and how they all do fit together. Yep. And it's like justice, tech and green. Yeah, they're all put together. They all make sense together. And you, I think Dreamcore as a as an organization is really making that story make sense. We need all of these approaches to make this world a better place in this mm-hmm. way you know with with the the climate change stuff with criminal justice it, it just it makes sense when you look at it at first glance you're like hmm that's interesting but then you, the more you dive in and now that we're talking <laughs> to you it's like wow this it really does come together and it it's all necessary to make the changes that are necessary yeah there's some big opportunities and i'm excited for what's ahead you know since you mentioned the bezos earth fund grant i think we are now finally poised to take our phenomenal ideas and i'm going to say well we've had phenomenal ideas we haven't had the resources to scale them right and to really bring them forth into full fruition but um our justice program has gotten over seventeen thousand people out of prison through the bipartisan first step act that they passed uh, just two years ago, and so that and that number increases every month as more people get out of prison. Um, they're connected to a network of empathy partners in all 50 states. Many of them are organizations that do work with people coming out of prison, and so there's this massive, you know, talent pool right. that mm-hmm. we can tap through the Green for All program to connect uh, clean energy companies, right, and and those that have green jobs with this talent pipeline to help fill some of that need, you know, the shortage Mm -hmm. of of those skilled and unskilled workers that we need for this. Right. This is such a great conversation. I'm so excited that we've had a chance to kind of uncover some programs that you're working on and some things that you really are passionate about. Uh, For those listening, how, how can people get involved? Yes. So visit our website, greenforall.org slash join. Um, You can sign up for our action alerts there. You can also, I believe, text the word green to 97483, and that'll join you onto our mobile list. So the word green, you text that to 97483. Um, And that's the way that we'll put out, you know, when there's a time to take an action, to call your members of Congress to sign our petition or to re- share information, news, right, to kind of build support around those things, join an event, Mm -hmm. et cetera. Uh, You'll get action that way. On our website, greenforall.org, you'll find our Safe at Home report if you want to learn more about the energy efficiency work and uh, the solutions. I were really solutions focused, so this is not just about (laughs) telling you about the problem, but really what, you know, what we can do about it to create this new green economy. We've got some um, awesome ways that you can plug into the fuel change work and the electric school bus campaign as well. 
Um, and also check out our, our Green Jobs for Justice Involved uh, that, People report. That's awesome. Green for All has done a really good job with really allowing people to be advocates for the organization. They've got petitions, newsletters, also, there's all sorts of partnership opportunities. And then you have uh, some resources like uh, the research and reports and then really cool toolkit, uh, the carbon pricing and equity toolkit. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the clean transportation work that we're yeah. doing um, too. Yep, too. It, there's about 12 states in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic area. So, you know, places like Massachusetts, Connecticut, Maryland, et cetera, um, that are designing a clean transportation program that would actually charge polluters for the cost of their pollution and reinvest that money into yeah. communities. So that's what carbon pricing is. And uh, yes, there's resources on that as well. That's so great. I love this conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited that we were able to get you on the show. Um, this has been so enlightening and, and I know for those listening, probably eye-opening for a lot of people. Yeah, I know we didn't wanna, I know you said like there's solutions, but I think it's so important to focus on that problem because yeah. if we're mm -hmm. not aware of the problem, if people don't realize this exists, then that motivation to make the change doesn't happen. So yeah. thank mm -hmm. you for coming on and really shedding light on the reality of people on the front lines dealing yeah. with the climate change, dealing with the poverty and just how that affects them so deeply. Absolutely. Yeah, well, you're welcome and thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, on that note, our time's up for today. Michelle, thanks so much for joining us. To learn more about Dream Corps Green for All and how to get involved, visit greenforall.org or text GREEN to 97483. And make sure you sign the petition for the electric school buses program. For everything you need to know about Freedom Forever and the Solar Disruption Theory podcast, visit solardisruptiontheory.com. Also, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and help us share this podcast with the world. On behalf of Jules, Michelle, and myself, thanks for listening to the Solar Disruption Theory podcast. We'll talk to you soon.